Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Good morning, the Bridge Church. It's always hard to greet a church that has a the at the beginning because you don't know if it's just the Bridge or the Bridge Church. So I'm just going to greet you both ways. Good morning, the Bridge, and good morning, Bridge Church. It's so good to be with you guys again. I haven't been here for about a year. And like Pastor Derek said, uh, uh, I, my name is Steve. I pastor a church called Motion City Church in South Minneapolis. Come in this September. We'll be celebrating uh, our third birthday, and we are definitely in that toddler phase. Thank you. We're definitely in that toddler phase of, of church planting. We are bumping into stuff, and we are spilling juice, and it, but it is just a wonderful—there's I, I, moments where I, I pinch myself and say, I can't believe I get to do this. And there's moments where I look to God and I'm like, why are you making me do this? And, uh, but, but honestly, I, I, I'm going to say this honestly, I don't think I would still be pastoring if it wasn't for your pastor. Uh, Chris and Heather have been such an incredible support to my wife and to myself. And uh, Chris just always knows when to call me and uh, when to say, hey, let's go get some Red Savoys and let's drown our our sorrows and frustrations and delicious greasy pizza. And, 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 and so I love this church. Love, love, love this church. Love your pastor. I, I want you to know that you guys are blessed. That you guys are blessed. Uh, Chris and Heather, such amazing people to follow and, and to serve under and to have serve you. Man, I just want you to know, man, from an, from an outsider, insider, you guys are so incredibly blessed. But this morning, uh, we are... Um, we're gonna, I'm going to be talking, uh, if you're a note taker, I'm, I'm talking from the topic of everyday, an everyday apostle, what it means to be an everyday apostle. And if you have a Bible this morning, or if you read your Bible on an iPhone app or an Android app, uh, what I want you to do, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 3, and we're going to be starting in verse 7, so turn to the book of Mark, chapter 3, specifically starting in verse 7. And, and as you're turning there, what I want to do is I want to give you some context as to what's, about, what's happening before we're about to read what is about to happen. And, and so what, as you look at the, the book of, of Mark, sorry, uh, if you look at the book of Mark, John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. Now, uh, um, John the Baptist, he was an incredible preacher and teacher, and throughout his ministry, uh, so many people came to the understanding and faith in the Lord, and John began to build himself a, a pretty credible uh, following. Uh, John, uh, John the Baptist uh, had a pretty credible following. And, but honestly, the thing that I appreciate so much about the, John the Baptist is that ultimately, uh, John knew uh, what many of us know is that we are simply in life just carnival barkers for Jesus. Uh, do you guys know what carnival barkers are? For those of you who don't know, back in the day, um, carnivals and, and fairs would have these barkers, and they would stand 
outside of, of different events, different uh, things that you could see, like if you wanted to see the bearded lady or you wanted to see the world's strongest midget, uh, you could, there would be these like tents that you could go into, but there would basically just be competitions between these people, these gentlemen who would just try and yell louder than the other person. And what they would do is they would try and attract attention. They would try and attract people to come in and see what this mysterious, amazing thing was behind uh, this tent. And what John understood is that he was ultimately simply just the carnival barker for the coming of Jesus. John understood and he understands that everything about his life and his ministry is to prepare the way for the coming Jesus. And so Jesus comes on the scene. The scriptures say that, that uh, Jesus is baptized by John, and then God affirms Jesus audibly for, for in, in front of the entire crowd that was there to see his baptism. I can only uh, assume that that was a crazy experience to hear the audible voice of God affirming this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth as not simply this is my son, but the scripture says that this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That has to be just an amazing, and you think that's the beginning. And then the scripture says like right after that moment, right after basically you get the, the, the God pass of I am who I say that I am, Jesus goes into the desert. The scriptures say that the spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. I find that so amazing that the Spirit led Jesus into the desert with the sole purpose of tempting Jesus. Now, that's a whole other message in itself, and I'll let Chris handle that one. I, uh, but uh, but, but th I just think that's so amazing. And so what, what happens then is after Jesus comes out of the desert, he begins to call his first disciples, and then he begins to go and speak in synagogues in front of, of, uh, of the Jewish congregations, and he begins to do a variety of miracles. And as Jesus continues to teach and do miracles, larger and larger crowds begin to follow him. Some believe that he was indeed the promised Messiah that they had heard about, that they had been hoping for, that John had prepared the way for. Some were just curious. They were, if I can use the term, seekers. They were just trying to figure out who this guy was and if this was somebody that they could put their hope and their faith in. And then there were some who simply liked the spectacle. There were some who were following him simply because they liked an impressive show. And the thing that I love so much about Jesus is that he allows all three categories into his direct sphere of influence. And the amazing thing is he still does the same thing today. The thing that I love about this church and the thing that we are working so tirelessly at Motion City Church to develop is that no matter where you are on the spectrum of faith, there is a place for you here. If you like the spectacle, man, this is a great spectacle. Like, this chain link is cool. I'm like taking mental notes. I'm like, man, we're going we're, we're gonna to do, we're going to rip that off. We're going to rip that off. I'm going to rip off three of the songs during worship today. We're going to, I mean, I'm just like taking things back with me. I'm enjoying the spectacle. And then there's also moments, if I can be honest in, it, with you, in my life where I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. Just because I have a microphone, just because I have the title pastor, doesn't mean that I'm not figuring things out. And sometimes I'm trying to figure some things out. And then there's moments where, man, me and Jesus are the best of friends. He could tell me to stand on my head barking like a dog wearing a duck costume in front of Walmart, and I would do it. But the thing that I love about Jesus is that no matter where you are today, no matter what you're dealing with today. I mean, there's a place for you in the capacity of Jesus. There's a place for you here.
And so what I love is that, and so what, what Jesus is doing is he's beginning to really begin what begins to be the next three years of his life and, and doing public ministry. And so as we're getting to the, the third chapter of Mark, we're getting into the official call of these disciples, of these apostles, this word that we're going to look at today. And, and growing up, I grew up, um, never didn't know not going to church, to be honest with you. And I remember growing up in, in, in mostly Pentecostal circles and, and growing up in Pentecostal churches, and we used to throw this word call around a lot. We used to throw this word calling around a lot. And as a young kid, I was like, man, what is this call? What does this mean? And as I've gotten older, I've got to learn to understand what it means, sort of. But then, again, you wonder, like, you, you, sometimes I look at myself, I look at other people, I'm like, man, did we hear right? And then there's moments where I look at this, like, I wish I would have had something like that. But honestly, if, 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 if we can be honest, sometimes when we look at the call, sometimes we can conclude that it's, it's something like this video that I'm about to show you. Hi guys, Quinn and Kylie here. We are so excited to announce our next trip. It's a mission trip. Our next mission trip. We are gonna serve humbly the scuba instructors here in Aruba. We are so honored. So honored. A lot of you guys have asked, why Aruba? Yeah, we actually came here on our honeymoon. Yeah, and we were out on the pier having the sunset dinner. I was about to pick up the lobster and dip it in the butter. We so just good. looked at each other and we just felt like God had called us for, for such, such a, a time, time as, as this. this. We've had so many God moments while being not here. Believe. The cabana boys. Oh, the golf caddy. Yeah, the parasail guys. I had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with the guy I rent the jet skis from. Oh, people want to hear about that. So good. When when moments like that, we just know that we're here for a purpose. Yeah, for but sure. We can relate to missionaries all over the world when we say it hasn't been without its share of persecution. Yeah, like last week we were prepping to do the scuba dive, yes. and I was wearing my cross necklace like tell I him, always do. Tell them what the instructor said to you. And the instructor looked me dead in the eyes and said, ma'am, you need to take that necklace off. Take it off. And I said, I will not. I will stand for what I believe in. Get behind me, Satan. Right, but come to find out the necklace actually would block the airflow of the mask so I had to take it off it makes it he was helping you but yeah. at the time we did feel I felt attacked persecuted honestly I feel like a lot of what we're doing down here babe is planting seeds we yeah. haven't seen much harvest but we know that the Lord is at work it's kind of like we're a living version of footprints in the sand except two sets of footprints had turned into zero that's where we lay down to sunbathing. sunbathing yeah. Like the other day, I was shopping for some supporter gifts for all of you. So good. I was looking at these keychains made by real orphans, and I was about to have a moment with the cashier with the cashier, lady. and you were going to witness to her. I was going to witness to her, but we had dinner reservations. Yeah, it was so. not the right time. But God's timing. Wherever we go, in the shops, at the car dealership, we wear the WWJD bracelets. I actually lost mine. Anyway, we just want to ask that you would partner with us and invest with us here in Aruba long term. Long term, but really for only three months because after that it's rainy season and my hair gets frizzy, so. Okay, yeah. we feel like maybe after the three months God is maybe going to transition us out of Aruba. Don't spoil it. And we're going to be witnessing to the wine connoisseurs and vineyard owners <laughs> of Tuscany. But that's another video that's and another outfit. Yeah, totally I haven't even different. finished my Pinterest board. We need to be here and now. We, I talked with our accountant. All we need is $10,000 a month. Basically what we're uh, saying is that we want to ask you for prayer. Well, pray that God would ask you to give us your money. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to give. We just ask if you think about us in prayer after you've given, just ask that we would daily pick up our cross. Yeah. Oh, room service. You know what I'm saying? Just it's No, I said extra caviar. 
No, fix that. Where's the Prosecco? What am I supposed to drink? Cut this part. No, get out. Sometimes in life, you just have to laugh to keep from crying. At least maybe me. Derek, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, we're Bible college kids. We get this. Uh, hopefully, here's the deal, man. If God calls you to Aruba, go. If God, but I'm just, but, okay, sometimes, but here's the deal. And this is all that in, 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 in just jest. But, uh, man, the thing that I, I, I know is that whether you're in vocational ministry, whether you're a construction worker, a Starbucks barista, a Target employee, a stay-at-home mom or dad, the calling of Jesus for all of us is the same. Because what's taken me so long in my life to understand is that I'm not called to a place or a position, but what I'm called to is to follow a person. Who I'm called to follow is the person of Jesus. And so in Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 7, uh, here we go. This is what it says. It says, Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River, and even as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news of his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowds would not crush him. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him, and whenever... Those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him. The spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Verse 13, Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he was to send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the twelve that he chose. Simon, James and John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas Iscariot. Well, let's get into this just a little bit. Let's get into this in our time remaining. And I, 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 when, when we look at verse 14, the first part, it says, Then he appointed twelve of them and called them apostles. When you and I, when we look at the scriptures, when we look at this word apostle, depending on whatever uh, faith tradition you might be from, the word apostle can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For some faith traditions, it means that it's actually a, a category of leadership within a ministry, within a church. Sometimes there are people that I've known who actually ident- self-identify as an apostle and regrettably use it as a power trip to have a voice of somewhat, uh, a somewhat voice of influence in a circumstance. But when we look at what Jesus is saying in the Gospel of Mark chapter 3, when Jesus uses the word apostle, the word that he's, he's meaning, the word that apostle means is messenger. An apostle is a messenger of something, and we as followers of Christ, as the church, we are the messengers of an, inc- of an incredible and history-altering message. The message about the kind of love that has the power to change the human heart and in so doing completely alter our identities. The kind of love that can pull people out of pits of depression and death and bring life and joy and purpose and hope. What an incredible message we have been called to be messengers of. How incredible that God allows us. Because we know ourselves and I know me. And I am amazed daily that God allows me to be a messenger of his grace and his mercy and his love. And so as we look 
at this verse, as we look at these verses, and as we look at our lives, the only conclusion that I can come to is that you and I, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are apostles. We are the messengers of Jesus' message. And as his messengers, just like he did with the twelve, he calls us to the same way of life that he called these original twelve to. He gives our lives purpose. And if you're taking notes, purpose number one is this. Purpose number one as an apostle is to walk with Jesus. Is to walk with Jesus. As Jesus is doing his earthly ministry, he was walking from place to place. It's amazing the places that Jesus' sandals carried him. I mean, I, was, I drove a 1996 Toyota Avalon to St. Francis, and my shocks are a little bad. And I was like, man, this is, this is rough. Man, I should probably budget it in to get maybe a, a better car with some better shocks. And I'm thinking, I'm about to talk about Jesus walking. This is just fine. Kind of one of those moments where I, it's, it, I, I think about Jesus walking from place to place and, and walking because people were the passion of his heart. Man, I won't walk to a sale. And Jesus walks because people are the passion of his heart. Do you know that in, G- in the three years that Jesus was on earth doing earthly ministry, do you have any idea how many miles he walked? So many scholars who are so much smarter than I am, I'm just going to use their information. But what they've concluded is that in the three years of earthly ministry that Jesus is walking from place to place, speaking and teaching, in three years Jesus walked, about 3,000 miles. And if that, if so, if that doesn't make sense, like that's a lot of distance, where's that from? Basically, if you were to start in Minneapolis and walk south to Orlando, Florida, that would be half the trip. Then you'd have to turn around and walk back. That is how far Jesus walked on his earthly ministry. And as he walked these 3,000 miles with these 12 disciples and whomever uh, chose to walk with them for a certain distance at a time, what do you think that they did during those walks? They talked. They had conversations. I can see in my, 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 in my mind that Jesus and these 12 guys walking and talking with one another, that, that, that as they spoke, they, they encouraged one another, they argued with one another, they prayed for one another, they told stories about their childhood and their siblings and their parents, they talked about what their lives were like before Jesus called them to follow him, and they talked about their hopes and dreams, and maybe they even had some honest moments where they said, did we just ruin our livelihoods by walking away from everything we've ever known? To follow Jesus. I hope this works out. And all the while, as these 12 guys were walking, Jesus was walking right along with them, telling stories, talking, praying, communicating, engaging where they were at, knowing where he was and he was teaching. And, and the thing that so often gets me so amazed is that this is not a formal setting. This is just life walking the road. And the thing that's so amazing, again, about Jesus is that Jesus never substitutes intentionality for formality. Jesus never substitutes an intentional moment because it's not formal enough, that because it's not church, because it's not a small group, because it's not um, an outreach opportunity. Man, Jesus will do away with formality every day of the week, but his life is purposed and intentional. 
And as these men walked with Jesus, they began to love like Jesus. They began to speak like Jesus. They began to see needs like Jesus. They began to have the same heart that Jesus has because I know, if you're anything like me, and I know that I am, I become like those who I spend the most time with. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you spend time with Jesus? Like actual time with Jesus? Like the kind of time you spend with your best friends or your spouse? I'm not talking about simple Hail Mary prayers when things go bad or simple thank you prayers when things don't go as bad as they probably should have. I'm talking about actual time where you get to know Jesus. And because as you get to know Jesus, I really believe that the only direction of the heart as you begin to get to know Jesus is you fall in love with Jesus. And as you fall deeper in love with Jesus, you'll begin to trust Jesus, not just with huge, immense life circumstances, but with small, minute details. Because I love that there is nothing too big for God to be worried about and nothing too small for him not to be worried about. The incredible thing about Jesus is that in your life and in my life, he really does actually want to be a part of everything. He wants to be a part of every aspect, the good and the bad, the planned and the unexpected, the Instagram-worthy and the ugly. Jesus wants to be a part of all of it. He wants to walk with you and walk you in the midst of life circumstances and walk you through all of it because if we want to be like Jesus, Bridge, if you and I want to be like Jesus, then we have to walk with Jesus. We have to spend time with Jesus. And so Jesus calls the apostles to walk with him and the same call is for you and me today that we would walk with Jesus. The second one is to preach. Now some of you, when I say the word preach, shriveled up. You're like, you know what, I dig the spending time with them, but I'm kind of an introvert. You want me to talk? I'm out. That's why we pay Chris. But <laughs> and then if I can ask a question, is there anybody who is like legitimately terrified of public speaking? Like legitimately, you can raise your hand. This is a safe place. This is a safe place. Anybody? Anybody? No, yeah? Okay, so we've got some glossophobics in here. That's just fine. See, but when Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to, to preach, what he's instructing us to do, what he's actually saying is that when we preach, what we, he wants us to share. Now, I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, and this is a very difficult concept to teach right now because we are very big into justice. And if someone gets something, uh, we don't share. We have to get something. And it's just a difficult experience for everybody. And so, uh, and so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, no, I, I want you to share. Share your life. Share about what, Je what, what I've done in your life. And, and let me ask you again a question. How has meeting and knowing Jesus changed your life? How has meeting and knowing Jesus changed your life? Share about that. And again, we don't need to be in a formal setting. Again, Jesus dismissed formality, but he was always intentional. And we can simply share about what Jesus has done with our life. And, and it's not as profound sometimes and, 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 and heavy-handed as I think we assume it to be because we can share what Jesus has done in our, in our life with our spouse. We can share about what Jesus has done in our lives to our children. If there was anyone to share about what Jesus, it's with our children to raise them up to know and love Jesus. Man, what a high honor. 
Man, we can share about what Jesus has done with, in our lives with our coworkers. We can share about what Jesus has done in our life with the person checking us out at Target or the gas station attendant. Stop, I think, and, and this, is, this is for me too. This is what the Holy Spirit's speaking for me. Stop waiting for formal experience to share the most amazing thing. Because when we're really excited about something, we won't need an opportunity to do it. We'll just talk. We'll just share. Now, and when, when Jesus calls, is calling us to preach, he's calling us to share about what he's done in our life, share our lives. Uh, he's calling us to be generous with our lives in the same way that he is being generous and has been generous with his, to share our lives and share our stories with others. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church in California, he says, I love this quote. He says, man, you burn more bridges sharing your successes, yet you build more bridges sharing your failures. What would this do for the world if we began to share the way that we've failed, but yet where Jesus has lifted us up out of failure? And there's an epidemic going on in culture that we are so tied to our least mistake. Our smallest mistake becomes our entire identity. And I think for many of us, our least mistake or our greatest failure is the trajectory that God wants to use to reach people for him. Man, your tragedy can become a testimony. Man, your failure can become the catalyst for other people to say, man, if there was hope for him, if there was hope for her, maybe, just maybe, there might be hope for me. Jesus called, and, and, okay, so check this out. We are 32 days away from the start of the NFL season. And if there is one thing that I know about us as Minnesotans is that we love our football. We love our Vikings football. We hate our Packers football. And we love everyone who plays the Bears. That's what I know about us. We love, but we are football people. And here's, here's just, this, this is for all of us. For five months, we will do nothing but preach football. We'll share our opinions about why this quarterback shouldn't have done that or why they should have put this person in. We'll share about how we would have done things better, man. We will share. But what if we were just as intentional, or maybe I'm just going to, what if we were just 10% as intentional about sharing what Jesus has done in our life as we are when it comes to football season? It's just a thought. So step one, calling number one, is to walk with Jesus. Step two is to preach, to share, to be generous with our lives. And number three is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And I, when I'm talking about don't be afraid, what I'm saying is don't be afraid ever of anything or anyone. Because just as Jesus gave the original 12, the dirty dozen, I just came up with that right now, and I am pretty pumped with me right now. The original dirty dozen, because here's the deal, man. That was a drunk church softball team, those original 12. They were messes of messes, man. And so they are the original dirty dozen. And so when Jesus called the original dirty dozen to follow him, what did he say? He says, walk with me, tell people about me, and then walk in authority. And the same authority that Jesus gave the original 12 is the same authority that he calls you and I to live with today. I'm not sure if you're an older sibling in the room, but I am. And the best day for me and the worst day for my brother was when I was left in charge for the first time. My brother went like 
like like Lord of the Flies, man. He barricaded his door. He like was like, I got enough food to last two weeks. I got a fire pit burning in the middle of the yard, in, in the room, and I am set for when this storm is over, man. Best day for me because I was under the assumption that I had some kind of authority, and I was just the worst. I was just the worst, and. And, and really, what authority did I have? Because the moment my parents walked in, I lost whatever power and authority I thought I had because I knew that my brother would tell them uh, just how much of a lunatic I was. But it's, when it's the first time, you just got to go for it. You just got to see what they'll do. And, and so you just go for it, and you get in trouble, and, you, and you, it, was, it was a rough. It was just a rough afternoon all around for my brother before my parents came home, for me after. And then it was my poor parents just like, we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. Like, I'm 15 years old, and they're still calling babysitters. It's like, we just cannot trust this guy. He is slightly, he's just a lunatic. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I'm not just giving you power. See, I had power, sort of, but I had no authority. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, I'm going to give you power, and then I'm going to give you authority. So you can step to anything that comes your way because how many of us know that in life there are things that come our way and without authority, man, we can't speak anything to anything, man. Like when, when a, a difficult medical diagnosis comes or when a relational diagnosis comes that we weren't expecting, when something out of the ordinary happens, sometimes we can forget that we don't simply have power, but we've been given authority attached to power and so we can speak to the things that come in our lives. And, and, and just because we speak to things doesn't mean that it's magically Jesus is like, well, they said my name. I'm going to take that problem out of their way. I'm going to take that circumstance out of their way. I'm going to fix that relationship without fixing them. And Jesus has plans for our pain. Let me, instru- let me encourage you with that. But what he gives us is authority to walk through it. Let's not make base camp at the mountain of our greatest problem at the time. Because Jesus gives us power and authority in his name. And the biggest thing that these guys were dealing with at the time was demonic powers. And so Jesus says, I'm going to give you authority over the demonic. I'm going to give you authority over things that run without authority, that hurt without authority, that hurt without care. I'm going to give you authority and power over those things. As I've as I found myself in life, just blessed beyond imagine because sometimes more often than not I find myself sitting at tables with people that's just above my influence grade that's above my pay grade I'm just one of those people honestly that just if there's an open seat apparently that's mine you know what I mean like and I remember being at a, a pastor's conference and this is like year one of starting motion City. but there was an empty chair at a table of very influential pastors not just in Minnesota, but throughout the nation and throughout the world. And I remember seeing that there was an open table. I was like, well, obviously that must be for me. So I sit down. And there's kind of this, who are you? Have you read your book? Do we read your blog? And I'm just like, no, I'm just And so I figured, so I just kind of like, like, like a three-year-old just kind of just sit down. I'm just going to eat my food quietly, hoping to just ingest some wisdom, you know what I mean? And there's a lot of discussions about church multiplication. There's talks about methods and men like and all the things that people talk about. And then all of a sudden there was a question that was brought up and the question was this. It was, why don't we see the power of God move in our day the way it's moved in previous generations? 
Why don't we see miracles take place today in our churches? Why don't we see healings take place in our churches like we've seen, like we've read about? And there was a lot of talk about culture, and that culture has an effect on this, and culture's broken, and culture, da, 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 culture makes it difficult. There was a lot of talk about politics and political maneuvers and all these different things, and, and ultimately it just kind of got to just kind of be like Charlie Brown's teacher, where it's just like blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden there was this moment when one of the pastors said very thoughtfully, very quietly, very matter-of-factly, he goes, maybe we're not seeing God move in our day is because maybe we're not doing anything that requires the power of God. And what I experienced next was awe-inspiring. I saw a table of pastors whom I respected then and respect even more now all push their plates in the middle and then begin to beg God. God, would you bring us to a place us personally, and then our ministry. Would you bring us to places that are deeper than we've ever been before? Involved in things that we've never been involved in before. God, we want to be where there is only you and pursue passions and desires where only you can show up to accomplish. How much power does it take to show up Sunday morning? Does that require supernatural power? No. Not really, if I'm honest, because you and I use the same power to go to Target. We use the same power to go to sporting events. We use the same power to flip on the television and watch reality TV or sporting events or the news. But yet, for so many churches and for so many Christians, we've determined that simply showing up is enough. We check off a box, and then we go about with our life. But what we are called to do is so much more than simply show up. We are called to alter the atmosphere wherever we are because we have got the power of the living God within us. Whenever Jesus showed up in a town or wherever he showed up, there was an atmospheric change that happened because the presence of the divine graced the presence of the natural. And, and the thing that I, when we read about this, when we read about when Jesus got into the, 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 the distance of someone who was possessed by an evil spirit, they knew that the atmosphere changed. You want to know why they shrieked? Because they knew with one footstep on their territory, they lost. We are called to change the atmosphere of evil because evil knows when God shows up. And it's sad, but sometimes we as Christians try and do everything we can to build up walls around our life, around our churches, around our teenagers, around our kids, because we don't want anything bad to happen. We have given evil and darkness an authority that it doesn't have. We have been called not to protect ourselves from darkness, but to sprint with everything that you and I have inside of us into the darkness. We have been called to be a part of the greatest search and rescue mission history has ever known because we're not saving people from sin. We're not saving people from pornography. We're not saving people from adultery. We're not saving people from depression. We are saving them from evil. We are saving them from themselves. 
Jesus is sending us into the darkest places, into the places that need the most light. Why do you think God placed you here? Drove by your high school today. And the reality that seven, to ten, seven out of every ten students are on some sort of antidepressant, I don't know why it just hit me. Went to Itasca before I came here to pick up some Dupelo, some big old Lego, non-chokeable Legos for my kids, and I'm having a great morning, and then I drive by your stupid high school, and God just breaks me. And I begin to just weep. I'm like, God, where is this coming from? <laughs> where, like, I'm, like, I even made the sad statement, why don't I cry that much about the school that our church meets at? I don't know, that's... But why do you think God's placed you here? Why do you think God's called you to now then Minnesota, which is the coolest city name ever? Why do you think he's called you St. Francis, Minnesota? He places us where there's the greatest need because we've got the answer. And when we walk with Jesus, and as we tell stories about what Jesus has done in our lives, and as we begin to walk and live and pray and speak with authority, you and I can sprint into hell with a squirt gun and take back what the enemy has stolen. We can take back what the devil has purposed for evil. We can run and we can challenge and we can fight and we can win because when we are a church that is on mission with Jesus, equipped with the message of the gospel, nothing can stop us. Just one more quick story if that's okay. And then we'll be done. Maybe we won't be done. Maybe we'll just be getting started. But in 1900, there was a gentleman by the name of Ernest Shackleton. And Ernest Shackleton wanted to explore the South Pole. And so like he had to do back in 1900, he placed a local ad in the London Times newspaper, and it read this, if we could put it up on the screen. It read this. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, Safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. I don't know who was in charge of Ernest's marketing, but that is the worst ad ever. As like a church planner, I'm like, there is nothing about being life-giving. There is nothing about, we got something for your kids and this, that, or whatever. It's like, no, we got nothing for you, and this will kill you, and this should leave your kids fatherless. This is the worst ad ever. It's, I just I was laughing last night, just rereading it. I'm like, am I? Anyway, do you know how many men volunteered to be part of Ernest Shackleton's South Pole expedition? Who thinks it was over a hundred? Who thinks it was over two hundred? Five hundred? Thousand? Two thousand? 
3,000. 4,000. My man's got faith right there. Over 5,000 men volunteered to be a part of this. Why? Because they wanted to be a part of something that was bigger than themselves. They wanted to be a part of something that through life or death would matter. And I believe that the same desire sits in the heart of men and women and teenagers and children today. But the struggle is we've got the desire in us, but we would rather be safe. We would rather be comfortable. We would rather have a church that church people come to rather than churches where the broken are healed, where the lost are found, where the sick are healed, where the dead are brought back to life, where marriages are restored, where teenagers come back to Christ and then live life-altering moments. The things that we pray for, the things that I pray for my kids is, God, would you not, would you not help me raise my kids to make a dent in history? But would you use my children to alter the course of history? Church, we are a part of something that is great. We are a part of something that is big. You and I just need to answer the call. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.